You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda from New York City. And this is Prashant Parmaswaran from Washington, D.C. Good to have you back, Prashant. Uh, how was your uh, trip to China most recently? It was good. Very productive. Great, great. You were there for the Shangshan Forum? Yeah, that's right. Um, and there were a number of other uh, China, Southeast Asia, and China, ASEAN related activities there as well. So it was good to take part in that. Absolutely. Well, uh, unfortunately, we won't be talking about uh, China or Southeast Asia on this podcast today. Um, over the weekend, while we were both um, traveling, uh, it appeared that Sri Lanka thrust itself face first into a constitutional crisis. Um, and we've talked about Sri Lanka a little bit on this podcast, and certainly its role as a important geopolitical player, um, given its strategic location in the center of the Indian Ocean, just a few miles off the southern tip of India. Uh, it's turned into a hot zone in particular for the geopolitical wrangling between New Delhi and Beijing. Um, but this constitutional crisis really appeared to come out of nowhere, um, mm. though that isn't entirely the case. I mean, um, I'll, you know, we can, uh, we can talk a bit about the origins, but, but yeah, I mean, this is really uh, something that I think we should um, pay close attention to. So I'm glad that uh, we're going to spend the podcast talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess probably the, the first place to start, because this is a pretty complicated situation, as you said, is, is maybe, you know, you can lay out, you know, what what is exactly at stake here and who are the players, right? Because we have one president, two prime ministers, at least three major powers with interest here. So maybe we can start there and then and then move on to figure out what the implications are geopolitically. Yeah, that's a good way to good way to start, I think. Um, the way that I found it helpful to think about what's happening in Sri Lanka right now is to think about it in pretty much um, as three men trying to position themselves for um, power and glory. So two of these men, Maitripal Sirisena and Ranil Wickram Singh, were, um, came to power in the 2015 January elections, which were also a bit of a surprise. So Maitripal Sirisena, who is the current president of Sri Lanka, uh, was formerly a member of the previous government. And this is where the third man comes in, Mahinda Rajapaksa, who is probably well-known to some listeners of this podcast. I think we've talked about him in the context of China's Belt and Road and other initiatives uh, there. Uh, so Rajapaksa was uh, Sri Lanka's president for uh, about 10 years, and he controversially oversaw the end of the Sri Lankan civil war, including overseeing um, atrocities committed by the Sri Lankan armed forces. Uh, but in 2015, uh, in the elections, he was um, unexpectedly defeated on sort of a wave of anti-incumbency sentiment towards him, given domestic political uh, sentiment, and also due to Siri Sena's ability to pull in votes not only from Sri Lanka's uh, Sinhalese majorities, but also um, the, the minority Muslim and Tamil populations. And when Siri Sena came to power, there was sort of a lot of effusive hope. Um, in fact, I think I did a podcast in early January 2015 that you can go back and listen to if you want sort of a time capsule of how people talked about Sirisena when he was first voted in that, oh, he would uh, balance out Sri Lanka's foreign policy more evenly between India and China, whereas Rajapaksa had taken the island very strongly in a pro-China direction. He would take seriously the issue of uh, truth and reconciliation um, in the aftermath of the Sri Lankan civil war and human rights. He would reduce the powers of the Sri Lankan presidency. And he did some of those things initially. Uh, but as time went on, um, not only did he kind of peter off, but Ronald Vikram Singh, the prime minister, uh, who is from another party, so they were in a, um, a unity government coalition arrangement. So Vikram Singh's party is the United National Party, and Sirisana is from the Sri Lankan Freedom Party, the SLFP. Um, 
there appeared to be growing fissures between the president and the prime minister, um, which led us to this point in October 2018 when Sri decided that he would dissolve cabinet, he would dismiss the prime minister, and here's where the constitutional question comes in is can the Sri Lankan president do that? Most analysis that I've read, I'm not a Sri Lankan constitutional expert, would suggest that he cannot do that. The president may appoint a prime minister, but he cannot dismiss a prime minister. And so Wickram Singh has decided that he won't vacate the prime minister's residence, and he's been there for the past five days as this crisis has played out. His supporters are out in the streets uh, as of this morning um, protesting, and we've had at least one death. So political violence, sadly, is not alien to Sri Lanka, and there is concern that if this constitutional crisis does persist, there could be widespread bloodshed. So Mahinda Rajapaksa, in the meantime, has been sworn in um, along with the new cabinet as the prime minister, which means that legally there are now two men claiming to be the prime minister of Sri Lanka. Uh, the legislature, in the meantime, um, appears to be siding with Vikram Singh. Uh, his interpretation of events is that he should have the opportunity to prove that he still enjoys a majority of support in parliament, which is true. Uh, Rajapaksa does not have that kind of majority right now. Um, so that's where we are. And um, the reason that I worry um, about the possibility of violence is particularly because uh, Sirisana has also prorogued the parliament from meeting until November 16th, which gives about two weeks where lawmakers won't have a voice, uh, the uh, Supreme Court won't have a voice, and this will really be sort of the rule of the jungle when it comes to um, protesters from both sides, or at least three sides. You also have Rajapaksa loyalists sort of duking it out. So um, that's sort of a broad overview of, uh, of how we got here. Yeah, and I think um, the, in particular, the point you raised about the fact that, you know, with this uh, country in limbo now, with, um, you know, two people essentially contesting one position, and with the suspension, right, of parliament, the fact that this may actually be settled on the streets rather than, you know, sort of rule of law is, is particularly worrying. And then you also have that sort of, there's an overlay of geopolitics here um, where you have the involvement of India, you've got the involvement of China, and you've got the involvement of the United States. So maybe I guess the next thing we can talk about is is the geopolitical angle here. How are the, how are these, it's still early days, but how these countries have kind of responded to these domestic uh, realignments? Yeah. Um, so in India, there's obviously a very hot debate going on right now about events in Sri Lanka. Uh, India and Indian analysts take a strong interest in events in the Indian Ocean. Um, I think people are still just kind of coming out of celebrating events in the Maldives, which we also talked about, uh, including mm -hmm. the election of the opposition leader, who is definitely more pro-India than Abdullah Yameen, the outgoing autocrat. Um, but it appears that, as is often the case, um, India gets to take one step forward in the neighborhood and take one step back, as appears to now be the case in Sri Lanka. Uh, so the three men that we talked about, uh, Sirisana, Rajapaksa, and Vikram Singh, um, you could, you know, they often get kind of dropped into these buckets. Uh, Vikram Singh is broadly seen as pro-India, Rajapaksa is broadly seen as pro-China, and Sirisana is broadly seen as a little bit of a more even-keeled, balanced player. Um, but those descriptions aren't necessarily right? Or if they were right, they probably aren't true today. Um, with Rajapaksa in particular, I think there's um, potentially some interesting developments uh, behind the scenes that we don't fully know about. Uh, I should caveat that, you know, a lot of what I'm saying about these three leaders and what they are trying to do and what their motivations are is is, is still quite unknowable. Um, a lot of people suspect that there has been some secret wheeling and dealing that we're simply not privy to. Rajapaksa, for instance, um, is re-entering government at a time when members of his family are going to be 
standing trial for uh, corruption under his reign. So um, him coming back to power could have something to do with that. He could have brokered an arrangement with Sirisena. Um, and by the way, I should have mentioned that Sirisena, before he ran for president in 2015 and defeated Rajapaksa, was actually a member of Rajapaksa's government. The two men actually have a very similar ideological heritage. Uh, they were uh, co-partisans, um, and Sirisena was part of the cabinet before he eventually became president and ousted Rajapaksa. So this is kind of a, a revolving door in a way. Um, but to go back to the geopolitical context, you know, Rajapaksa was just in India in September, uh, which was a pretty interesting visit that I think we should pay more attention to, given uh, events that we're seeing now. Um, and India, India's reaction has been somewhat muted. Uh, India hasn't taken a side yet, uh, and that's very typical for India. When a crisis breaks out in the neighborhood, it says that it is watching events closely and you know, respects democracy, but won't really go much further than that. So so that's exactly what the Indian Ministry of External Affairs statement said this weekend when the constitutional crisis erupted. What's really interesting, I think, is the Chinese reaction. China generally tends to be cautious in a situation where it doesn't appear to be, where there doesn't appear to be a clear winner. In the Maldives, for instance, um, I think one big sign was that the Chinese did actually congratulate um, Soli after his victory against Yamin. Uh, but here, uh, the Chinese have sided with Rajapaksa, and this maybe, you know, plays back to the idea that Rajapaksa is the more pro-China candidate, so China would naturally be um, eager to welcome him. But there is a risk involved here. Um, if Vikram Singh's case does somehow um, clear the Supreme Court or find support of the legislature, um, this could be resolved in his favor. But I think the Chinese have calculated that that won't be the case, that... Rajapaksa will come out on top as the next prime minister, and it's best to welcome him early and get on his good side and get ready to do business with him. Uh, so that's the Chinese reaction right now. Um, and, I, I, you know, I think sadly the Chinese might not be wrong about that. If this crisis does play out the way I think it might, um, I think Rajapaksa might be more likely to um, to withstand um, what is likely to be a serious round of, um, of uh, potentially public political violence, but also... Um, opposition from parliament. Uh, so we'll have to see where things go. Um, and the U.S. response is interesting. Um, the United States has effectively, without taking names, backed Vikram Singh. They haven't put out a statement saying that we support his position and he is the prime minister of Sri Lanka. But effectively, the case that the U.S. called for in a State Department statement released this weekend called for um, the parliament to effectively get back together and to um, allow the democratically elected representatives of the Sri Lankan people to fulfill their responsibility to affirm who will lead their government. So that comports pretty closely with the position that Wickram Singh has taken. So geopolitically, this is quite interesting. Uh, you know, you have you have, uh, you have three leaders and you have three great powers, and they've each taken sort of a, a slightly different position here. Um, India, I think, will be the big one to watch in the coming days. Um, I, I, you know, I highly suspect I suspect that even as India has put out this fairly anodyne statement, uh, it is working behind the scenes to fully grasp what exactly is going on and what the agreement might have been between Sirisana and Rajapaksa. Um, and there's some additional context here for India that I think is quite interesting. So just weeks before this constitutional crisis, Sirisana had actually accused India's external intelligence agency, the research and analysis wing, of trying to assassinate him. Um, and uh, that was potentially being done with Wickram Singh's support. So there were all sorts of conspiracy theories flying out. Uh, he later denied that to Modi and uh, said that, you know, when he implied it, he didn't mean that Modi personally had knowledge of it. He said that it was sort of a, the intelligence agency was going rogue. So don't make anything of that. That's all uh, without without evidence um, and might just be uh, his rantings. But, but yeah, there's certainly a lot going on here uh, geopolitically as well. Mm-hmm.
And I think important to underscore uh, the, the point that you mentioned earlier, which is that, you know, viewed from a longer term perspective, this really is a revolving door, right, where you see personalities come and go. Um, and there are domestic political and economic issues here at play, right, whether it's uh, Sri Lanka's debt and the, the worsening economic situation, um, or whether it's Sirsana's uh, popularity that's that's been diminishing as well, right, that leads to these sort of realignment of, of coalitions. So I, I think on this podcast, we warned with respect to the Maldives, and I think our discussion on Malaysia too, that this is a geopolitics podcast where we think about you know major powers and geopolitical implications, but there are these domestic issues uh, that underlie all of this, that sometimes when we characterize it as being sort of this contest among great powers, we miss these domestic uh, political dynamics as well. And, and we've kind of, I think, covered those as well as the foreign policy dynamics very well. But some of the sensationalist media reporting might make it seem like, you know, Maldives is being, you know, moving one side in terms of U.S.-China relations and then Sri Lanka is getting on the other side. Um, so that's something which which I think we're continuing to see across capitals when there is an election or realignment, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd say there's two factors to really pay attention to in Sri Lanka. Um, it, you know, it is not a country with particularly strong democratic institutions, which means that political personalities and leaders play a big role. And these leaders can be rent seeking, um, particularly, in, you know, with Rajapaksa, I think we saw a lot of that. He certainly doled out a ton of benefits to his family and his um, his loyal partners. And, and that matters quite a bit when you're sort of being treated as a geopolitical football between India and China, particularly because China is good at exploiting those kinds of impulses among leaders who don't necessarily care so much about the rule of law or uh, institutions. So Rajapaksa's return, um, I think, does set up China pretty nicely um, because I think Beijing knows how to work with him. Um, in the meantime, I think, the, the, you know, the Sri Lankan leadership, uh, if Sirisen and Rajapaksa are the ones to sort of take things forward, um, have sort of seen, you know, the, the Hambantota port episode play out and have kind of taken the lesson away from that. Um, so I'd be surprised if, you know, if this does play out um, and, and Rajapaksa does stick around, I'd be surprised if we sort of start seeing, you know, Sri Lanka take on another round of massive uh, unserviceable debt from China. Um, I think, you know, that kind of more balanced perspective might stick around. Although one of the factors here, too, is now um, the degree to which Sirisena is actually willing to work with India. Um, his kind of 2015 rhetoric about balancing relations um, no longer seems to apply. And, and, you know, he's been upset about a few specific things, including uh, India's interest in the Trincomalee port um, and the Colombo port. Um, India has been seeking access to port infrastructure um, and... I think he's been unhappy with the terms there. And yeah, there are also domestic economic issues and social issues that are uh, that continue to divide Sri Lanka, certainly with the legacy um, of the civil war being one of those issues. Um, uh, the the uh, accountability and transitional justice process um, hasn't really gone anywhere under Sirisena. It has sort of um, atrophied since an initial round of optimism in 2015. But, but at this point, it doesn't appear to be um, one of his priorities at all. Um, so Prashant, let me just uh, ask you, you know, to kind of close out um, the, you know, this, this is kind of a lesson that we kind of come back to on this podcast a lot, which is that, 
in many of these smaller, strategically important countries, um, political leaderships come and go, right? And um, and this even happens in sort of major U.S. allied states, right? We've talked about this in the context of the Philippines um, with uh, the change from Aquino to Duterte, for example. Um, so, you know, kind of looking forward, um, I'm wondering if you sort of have any uh, other countries that, you know, our listeners should maybe pay attention to or watch for these kinds of leadership transitions um, in the future? Because the Sri Lanka episode, like I said, was relatively surprising, even though the the tensions between Wickram Singh and Sirisana had been there for a while. But in some of the other situations, it's not so clear. You know, we've talked a bit about Indonesia, for instance, but I'm wondering, uh, it, you know, what other countries might come to mind for you? Yeah, I think there, there's, there's probably two groups. I mean, one is where you're going to have um, elections or changes of leadership over the next one or two years in strategically significant states. And there, I think, Thailand is the major one, provided that they actually hold the election, which is which is another question, right? Repeated postponements. Um, I think there you've seen a U.S. ally move appreciably closer to China, even though there's traditional limits to that. Um, and then the other one is Singapore, actually, where you're going to have a gradual transition away from the Lee family uh, squarely, um, you know, and gradually for the first time in, in Singapore's uh, independence. Um, and that's going to be another major one. I think there's another group where you see we, we're so used to, I think, associating Japan uh, with Abe and India with Modi. Uh, I do think, you know, with with these two leaders and some domestic questions this year, in the next two, three, four years, even if they do end up winning individual elections, their popularity and their alignment shifts will be very interesting to watch in the coming years because they've been such a big part of this landscape that we've been talking about. They're almost taken for granted, I think, among some observers. Yeah, yeah, no, that would have been another good candidate for a podcast this week since Abe and Modi just had their uh, annual uh, leader summit in uh, in Japan. Uh, but yeah, maybe we can come back to that and, and uh, revisit the India-Japan relationship, uh, which is certainly um, a topic that I'm very interested in. Uh, well, we'll leave it for there. Um, we'll leave it there for now. Um, the uh, the crisis in Sri Lanka, I think, will be worth keeping an eye on. Um, I sadly think that the prospect of political violence uh, is all too high. And like I said, we've seen um, one person killed already um, in sort of an unfortunate incident where a where protesters were blocking a former official from a former cabinet member from accessing his offices, and he was uh, shot by a board. Uh, by a bodyguard. Um, so hopefully that doesn't happen, um, but this will be uh, something to keep an eye on. Um, so Prashant, thanks a lot for joining me today. Good to be with you. So uh, for our listeners, uh, if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, but you haven't yet hit that subscribe button, please go ahead and do so. And if you've been a subscriber for a while, but you haven't left us a review on either YouTube or Google Play, please do that. And um, Finally, I do have to plug our new newsletter. Uh, I've been writing a newsletter that sort of distills the major um, topics in political risk and geopolitical risk in the Asia-Pacific region. Um, you can find this newsletter uh, off our website, actually, at the URL diplomat.substack.com, and you should subscribe. And I'd also welcome your feedback on that newsletter. It's a bit of a new product, so if you have anything that you'd like to see covered more frequently or a different suggestion for a format, uh, please let me know. I'd be very happy to uh, take a look at your feedback. So thanks a lot for listening to the podcast, and we'll be back next week with more.